You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ Team Leader, former Indoc Instructor Supervisor, Entrepreneur, and Physician Assistant Brian Silva. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the team room. Brian Silva, and we have a very special guest, as always, uh, here in the team room with us. We have Nikki Selby, a.k.a. Fly Girl RN. If you're following her on the gram, if you're not, you should, because she has some awesome stories and stuff and great information to share with everybody. So she's uh, a person that has a remarkable career of 23 years in as a RN and a SAR Corman ICU trauma nurse, multiple deployments all over the world, lots of awesome things. And we're going to get into it right now and ask her all about it. So we really appreciate her coming on. And as always, for you guys that are listening, we want to say thank you to all of you that are listening consistently and commenting and just sharing this experience with us. You know, we're really proud to just be able to help you guys out as much as possible. And this is kind of like our own little therapy, I guess, just getting everything off of our chest, our team room time in the time of COVID when we're not allowed to just meet and discuss things like normal adults this is how we discuss things on the zoom room. So, um, yeah, we appreciate you guys talk, uh, talking to us and just any questions you have, we're always here for you, uh, to help you make the best decision towards your career as possible and hopefully learn some things along the way, both ourselves and you guys. So we appreciate you going on this journey with us. Um, so like I said, we have Nikki Selby here in the team room and I got a little bit into some of the things that she's done, but Nikki, thanks for coming on. If you don't mind just going ahead and introducing yourself, please. Hi. Um, well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm Nikki. Like you said, I, I did 20, almost 24 years in the military, the Navy and, um, started out enlisted for 10 years, then made a transition, um, to the dark side, as most people would say, <laughs> because it <laughs> is, came, it is, it, it actually is. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. <laughs> um, I, commissioned into the nurse corps and finished out my career doing that. And now I am a civilian or learning how to be a civilian, I guess. Okay. And, um, so I kind of did the same thing. Like you were talking about going over the dark side. I was a PJ and now I'm a PA and Lieutenant type. Um, so I have a lot of reasons why I did that and I won't get into it here. You can watch other episodes about that. This is about Nikki. So, why did you cross over to the dark side and what made you gravitate towards that? So I decided to cross over and it had nothing to do with, I mean, I loved my enlisted job. I loved doing the search and rescue thing. And I still felt like I had a lot to learn there. Um, but I realized that I needed something that would translate over into the civilian sector because I, at that time I wasn't planning to do 20 and so I wanted to do something where I knew if I did get out at any moment, I had a job, I had something that I could um, keep a roof over my head. So since I was doing medical stuff and um, you know doing the, the SAR med tech stuff, I thought the natural transition was to go into the nurse corps. And the Navy had a program that was specifically to uh, get commissioned into the nurse corps directly. So um took that route or applied for that program and ended up getting picked up. And I, I say, I thought that was a natural transition. 
Um, because once I got into the nurse corps, it was a, a totally different culture. So that's going from, you know, pre-hospital in the SAR Corman world to in the hospital. And I was working around pretty much only men at the time into working with mostly females, <laughs> which is completely different. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it was, it was a rough couple of years to, to transition into that community and, and figure out where I where I stood or, you know, where my niche was, I guess. And you did how long as a SAR Corman before you went over to the dark side? So I did, technically I did 10 years, but two and a half of those years was in school. So um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't active in the SAR community for two and a half of those years. Okay. Yeah. I, I totally get where you're coming from. Just that experience I'm going through right now of figuring out that there's not really a team room and there's not really uh, a team, a lot of in a lot of places in the medical community, everyone kind of goes into their own little cubicle, does their own thing, and goes home, and they're not really um, in it for a real common goal. And it's difficult to just transition, especially if you are a little bit more senior. You had eight years in as the SAR portion, and then you transitioned into like you know nothing again, and you're trying to just figure yourself out and figure out where your place is, like you were saying. And that could definitely be difficult. Do you think that? So we have a lot of uh, listeners that ask all the time, like, did the experiences that you had in your prior job? How did they tr- uh, translate into the nurse job? And do you find that you were a little bit more ahead of those other people that didn't have those experiences like you had or what were the things that you kind of missed about the team specifically? So, I mean, I definitely felt like once I got into the nurse corps, so, you know, I started out as an, as an ensign, which in the Navy, it's O1. Um, and I will say that was the worst rank ever. <laughs> It, I was treated better as an E1 than I was as an O1. So um, there's that whole mentality of you're the new person, you're you know the the idiot or whatever you want to call it. But because you're an officer, you still should know something. So people aren't really trying to help you out as much as when you're an E1, where everyone's trying to mentor you and, and guide you and figure out you know what direction you're going to go into. So um, that was rough. And then being prior enlisted on top of it. You know, people see the ribbons that you have, so they, you know, they already know that, like, okay, you've got some time behind your your belt. So you are, I automatically got thrown into some of the leadership roles as far as like on the floor. I was put as the charge nurse within six months, and I'm like, wait a second, I'm I'm new being a nurse here. <laughs> it's like I know I've been in the medical world for a while, but I've never done anything with nursing or you know ward work or anything like that. So to be junior and now you're a charge nurse in charge of the floor when you're on shift. And then you're trying to make sure all the other new nurses aren't doing something, you know, stupid or (laughs) killing someone. And and then you have the resident doctors and the new doctors who are writing orders and you're, you're kind of that gateway and you're making sure that all the orders are right and that nothing's wrong. And it, it was pretty stressful, but they do. They, they try to throw you into that position right away because they think that, oh, you, you have experience. And it's like, no, it's different. Yes, I do have leadership experience, but that's different than being a brand new nurse, <laughs> which you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that in a, a hospital in the civilian sector. You would not see a nurse who's been a nurse for six months that's thrown into that charge nurse role. So it's... I it hope was, not. Yeah. <laughs> well, you would hope not, but it's the same thing in the military. Like, you shouldn't be doing it in the military either. I mean, yeah, we're all... You've got ribbons. It's fine. You've got medals and stuff. You know what you're doing, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was it was pretty stressful. Well, if you don't mind, let's let's roll it back to a, a happier time when you were a SAR corpsman. Uh, so pretending I don't know anything about the Navy, which is fairly accurate, can you explain okay. what a, a SAR corpsman or, or the Marine Corps in general or any of those things? What what does the team do, and and how was that for you being a, a SAR corpsman with them? So, so the search and rescue world, the search and rescue medics um, is a little, it's kind of the same and, and, and different, I guess, than, you know, the PJs. So we do a lot of pre-hospital stuff. Um, you know, they, we get repel qualified We're you know, we do hoist work. We do all of that stuff, point of injury, mostly. Um, they are now starting to get more certifications and, and trying to do more of that critical care transfer as well. Um, but that's coming down the line for the Navy guys. Uh, my experience with the star world, uh, when I first applied, this was back in the nineties, there weren't any females at the time that were doing it. And so initially I was told I couldn't do it because I was female, which didn't make sense to me at the time because I was like, well, we at that time didn't have any deployment billets other than I think a few with the Marine Corps, um, other than that, we were stationed SAR. So we were stateside doing stuff and supporting the local bases um, in CONUS. Um, so it didn't make sense to me. It was like, why can't females do that? It's I'm not in combat. <laughs> it's just you're saving people. <laughs> so I made her go back and look at the instruction. And if you've heard any of my other podcasts, this is where I always say, don't take no for an answer. Because if I had taken her you know, what she said to me that I couldn't do it and just taking it at face value and said, okay, I would be in a completely different spot than I am now. That would have changed my entire trajectory of my career and everything else. So I asked her to go back and look at the instruction and make sure that it actually said no females. And she came back and said, oh, well, it doesn't say no females, but there aren't any females in the community. And I said, well, that's different than they're not allowing them to be in the community. slight difference. Yeah, a slight difference. Although I should have taken that as a hint, you know, somewhere in my head, I probably should have said, I wonder why there are no females in the community. Um, because I wasn't, again, I would I say this all the time, but I was not this PT stud. I didn't work out every day. And doing that yeah. stuff. So I probably should have clued in at that point that it's pretty physical and maybe I should have been in better shape before I applied, but that never really registered. So I went ahead and put in the application and got accepted and found out through my very long process of training that I should have probably been in better shape, but you know, I love a challenge. So it just made me work harder and try harder. And I, I made it, got qualified. <laughs> no, sometimes ignorance can be bliss though. If you don't know it's coming, you just jump in oh, both absolutely. feet and then just don't quit yeah. and you're going to make it. It's, it's wonderful. So yes. And that's, that's, like the, the theme of my life. Right. <laughs> Just don't think about it. <laughs> I think we can relate on a few different levels. Um, so we get this question a lot, and it's kind of a hot topic right now, I guess, amongst the uh, the pararescue SAR community. What is the difference, and is pararescue better? I'm just kidding. What's what's? Do you see a difference? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, there's. A, I think there's a, there's a big difference because you guys seem to be more operational. And I think you have a lot of, um, like you're qualified in, 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 in different weapons and then you're qualified in, don't you, aren't you guys skydivers and rescue swimmers and divers and the whole bit, I think. 
maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So you do all the military free fall stuff and then the combat dive yeah. school, all that, all that other stuff. Yeah. Right. So we, we don't do any of that. We're, we're strictly um, on the medical side of the house and then being air crewmen in the helicopter. Um, we do get repel qualified. And then, like I said, we do, you know, a lot of hoist work and stuff like that. But um, technically, I guess we aren't considered a combat role, but it, that, not that they haven't gone into combat again, like Kristen. <laughs> not that they don't go into combat, but there's, you know, that's not the most typical thing for us right now. So was it was it good on the teams though? So I, I kind of get the difference to a certain extent, but like, what what was the team atmosphere like, and what was it like when you first showed up? You know, like you talk about being the first female. Was it uh, being being new on team yeah. is is an experience in and of itself? <laughs> yeah. So what yes. was it like for you? So I picked orders to China Lake, California, which if you're not familiar with that, that's like out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of along the lines of like a 29 Palms sort of thing. Um, except that we had, we were near the mountain chain, the Sierra Nevadas. Um, I thought, so when I first went into this, I thought we were the ones who stayed in the helicopter and the rescue. So this is another, a lot of people don't realize this. They think when you go star corpsman that you have to be a rescue swimmer, which is not true. The rescue swimmers are usually the non-medical rates, and then they go through rescue swimmer school. Over water, they're the ones who will go down into the water and get the survivor or the victim, whatever. And then the star corpsman stay in the helicopter, and then they treat the patient once the, the, the victim is up in the helicopter. Over mountains, which is what I chose and didn't realize that the star corpsman go down for the survivor which meant I had to get repel qualified, which I was, was, and still am terrified of heights. So when I first showed up, there was only one other guy there. It was just, he was, he'd been by himself for a while because our community is usually, um, we're hurting pretty badly for people. And at that particular station, he was the only guy there for like the last year or two. Um, so he was actually grateful I showed up because he'd been standing duty. He would basically been on duty for 24 hours, seven days a week for however long he's been there. Um, so he was pretty happy. I, I showed up, but the first thing he says is, Hey, I got to send you down to repel school down at Camp Pendleton. And I was like, Oh no, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> no, we stay in the helicopter. And he was like, no, <laughs> over the mountains, we have to go down. And I was like, Oh, well, I wasn't told that. And I was like, I don't, I don't do the repel thing. And he was like, okay, well, you're not going to do this job. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing the repel thing. <laughs> so <laughs> end up going to repel school. And, you know, the first one I was, we went off a tower, completely shaking the whole tower with my legs because I was terrified and finally did it after, you know, the guys screamed at me to just fucking go down. <laughs> and so went down and I was fine. It was, it was good. And you know, ended up going in the helicopter and actually like, I loved it, had a blast. And I still do. Like I love doing, I love repelling and, and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so then got, you know, started my qualification process. Well, the second guy ended up showing up who got stationed there and who'd been around the community for a while. And he, he and I were like, what is it? Oil and vinegar. We just did not mix. And he, did not seem happy. I was in the community, um, kind of made my life really hard. He would, we would have this like air crew training and he would ask me questions that he knew I didn't know yet just to kind of like, I guess, embarrass me. <laughs> um, 
he would do things that would just, you know, he knew that I was going to fail. I was new. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. I, you know, had a lot of training to go. Our, our process is usually six to eight months to get qualified. And I had a long way to go and he would make it a point to make me look stupid in front of people and, you know, just, just made my life kind of hard, which, you know, I think his, his motive maybe was to make me quit the community, but my personality is just, you know, the opposite. If you're going to challenge me and you're making me look dumb, I'm going to, I'll work harder and then I will make you look stupid. (laughs) So is that the most mature approach? No, but that was kind of our relationship the whole way through. And yeah, we, we, um, I didn't quite get along, but I did end up getting qualified. He did make my check ride pretty hellish. And to the point where the other guy was like, this is bullshit. He's like, we've never done anything like this before. It doesn't need to be this difficult. But I was like, you know what? No, it's fine. Like, let's do this because I'm going to show, because this is going to be, you know, this is a hard check ride, whatever. I'm going to show him that I can do it. And there's nothing that he's going to be able to say. So, you know, I want to prove my point here. So yeah, so I got qualified and... You know, I actually ran into him years later and he <laughs> apologized for how he treated me. <laughs> this was probably like 15, 20 years later. And he was just like, you know, I was a dick. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you were. <laughs> so, Did you watch Men of Honor before you went to that training? Because that sounds like the plot for Men of Honor when he's down there for so long. and The guy cuts the bag for him and makes it like so difficult for his check ride. <laughs> no, I haven't seen. No, I didn't see that movie. <laughs> you, need, you need to watch that movie. <laughs> I think the other guy might have watched yeah, that movie I- right before. He's like, this is what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was difficult, but again, I kind of thrive in those environments. I, I like to be challenged. Yeah. And I'm, we tell the, I'm bored. I just. Sorry. No, we, okay. we tell the new people it's whatever it takes, right? Like if you find that something to push back against or that, that motivation, just like you were saying, like I, I find, yeah. I get amped up about that stuff. Like, you found a reason to push through and to, to make it. So that's awesome. Um, I, I have yeah. another question and it's just cause I want to say the words is do, are the Marine Corps shock trauma teams as cool as they sound like or platoon. <laughs> cause that, it sounds cool. You know, shock trauma. Like what is that all about? Yeah. I mean, I think it is. So, so now we're cutting into my nurse corps time. Um, but the shock trauma and platoons are basically the damage control resuscitation surgical teams so if you were in oif oef you would have seen these teams that were able to resuscitate people and do damage control surgery um, that were intentionally pushed forward from your role three so your role three being the big hospitals wherever that was in theater so afghanistan was like bastion um dwyer CAF, those, those areas, those had the role three hospitals that were pretty robust and had a lot of capability. The role two, which is where the shock trauma platoon and damage control surgery resuscitation teams are, um, oftentimes they're, they're mobile and they can pop up in tents or hard structures or wherever they, they end up finding a good place to put their gear down and, and set up in order to start receiving casualties and they try to push these teams within, you know, 30 minutes of where heavy operation is. So if a person, and, and our, our purpose there is not to fix you, it's to stop the bleeding, um, to stabilize you, to get you back to the roll three. So we wanted to be as close as possible. So when you, if they couldn't control bleeding with um, non-invasive measures like your tourniquets and things like that, they would come to us and 
we would do what we had to do to, to stabilize a person. And so we're that one area. Also, we carry blood. Um, and then we have the surgeon, we have anesthesia, we have critical care and that type of thing. What the Navy and the Marine Corps kind of forgot about, and um, you guys might be able to appreciate this, is that once they came to us, when they came out, they were now a critical care transfer. So they're not point of injury anymore, right? So you guys dust off, you mostly specialize in that point of injury. When they come out of us, they're now on a vent and they're getting blood and they're getting, you know, you have to keep them sedated. You have to, I kept them paralyzed every time I flew them. Um, at the time, our main intra theater transport was dust off. And the paramedics at that time as well did not go through their critical care paramedic training, which they since have gone through. And so they would come in to pick up the patients and they would look at all this stuff. You know, it, it would be like you picking up a patient from the ICU and they're like, well, we don't do that stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> what ended up happening a lot was they would look at us and they would be like, hey, get on the back of that bird and fly the patient out. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> there's a lot more training that needs to go into that. <laughs> You're just putting random nurses on the back of a helicopter. I mean, if you think of your training or if you think of like even the civilian sector, you know, if I were to fly with Mercy Air, which I have flown, um, that's extensive training. You know, not only do you have to be well-versed in critical care, but you need to be well-versed in helicopters and, and all of that stuff and being part of a crew and being able to talk on the, you know, your, your ICS and, all of that stuff. And to just take a random nurse. And at the time, you know, yes, I, I had helicopter background, so that was good. But a lot of times we were throwing pretty new nurses that only had a couple years experience in a hospital on the back of these birds and saying, Hey, transfer this guy by yourself, you know, would never happen anywhere else. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a big, that was a big issue. And I remember my first transport again, you know, pretty, pretty well versed in helicopters, but I was new in the critical care world, like very, very new. And I'm looking and I'm like, I have this guy on a vent. I'm push dosing freaking paralytics and sedation. I've never done this before. I literally got a crash, crash education from anesthesia right before I went on the bird. And he was like, here, here's some, <laughs> just, just push this every 30 minutes and push this. And I'm just like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, along with the vent. And I was like, well, what happens at the vent? Like whatever. And he's just like, you know, just, just bag them or whatever. And it's, it was just bad. And I remember it was a night transfer. It was my first one. The dust off medic that came on, I was like, Hey, you know, are you going to help me? And he was like, Oh yeah, I don't do that. So he went and sat in the, <laughs> the left window. <laughs> I'm literally by myself with a pen light. And I was like, hey, do you guys have ears? And they're like, oh, no, we didn't bring you anything. So I'm doing hand signals to the crew if I needed anything. I mean, it was just, it, it was one of those moments, like, how did I can get here? <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? So, um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was how that one went. And then I did, I think, I don't even know how many more. Um, I was there for 10 months. So, and I was the, one of the primary ERC, we call it in route care ERC people in that um, area during the time. So I did many more transfers after that and learned many lessons after each one of those transfers. Um, the biggest lesson is that we didn't prepare people appropriately for that job. So I came back with a vengeance to, to fix that and spent the remainder of my career trying to, to fix that issue and problem, which is still ongoing today. So, 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, jumping in here from the sidelines, it's me. I'm back. My technical difficulties, despite probably everybody's best wishes, did not keep me out of this one. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm back here again. But man, thanks for coming on. I want to say uh, sorry we couldn't get the uh, the the beginning part of this together. But I really appreciate you coming on, and I I apparently busted in at a perfect spot because I wanted to make that bridge that transition to where you always had a passion for leadership and mentorship and you're starting to talk about your care for mental health right now. Cause that's, you know, resiliency. That's, that's what we're getting into. When did that start? Did it start there at that moment when you saw that people might not have been prepared to see what they saw, you know, in that, in that very unique role or did it even start earlier than that in your career? Um, no, I would, I would say that's when it started when I came back and one of the things during that time. So this was the, uh, 2000, 10, um, 2012 timeframe for me, I had been deployed right before that to Haiti, um, on a 24 hour notice. So went to Haiti, came back, went to Afghanistan, um, for nine to 10 months, came back from that. And then ended up getting deployed again on the amphibious warship as part of another surgical team. But I did three back to back to back. And if you were critical care, if you're a critical care nurse or in the ER, our tempo was, was pretty high. Most people don't realize that, but we were, you know, getting pretty killed. And then we were few and far between. And the reason why I had to do so many back to back is because we were losing nurses left and right. And it was due to not being prepared and, you know, them going down to mental health and, and basically like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, one of the issues with that was we weren't preparing people for that. Right. So in your job as a PJ, you're training to do your job pretty much the whole time that you're, you know, from the, from the day you sign up for it, you start your training and you keep training. So you're prepared to go into that environment. We are literally in a hospital that's no different than your civilian hospitals. And then it's like, Oh, by the way, Hey, you're going to go with the Marines to a combat area and um, operate with minimal resources. And I mean, you are a critical care nurse, right? And it's like, uh, no, (laughs) Right. Like, oh, you'll, yeah. you'll be fine. <laughs> no, you'll be fine. This is totally yeah. going to work out. They do it in the movies all the time. You kind of yes. just show yeah. up with your bag and then there's like a training montage and two weeks yeah. later, you're a grizzled veteran. That's how it works, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, mistake number one is we're, we're doing this and it's not just the nurses. This is all, this is across the board. This is doctors. This is PAs even I've heard. Um, we're just throwing them out there and expecting them to, to operate in these environments that, They've never even seen before until I got there. So I came back from Afghanistan and my senior nurse had actually pulled me aside and she was like, well, what makes you different? And I was just like, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, I'm just learning. I'm losing nurses left and right. And why, you know, you've been on more deployments than these guys and, and, you know, you seem to be doing fine. And I was like, well, what? And I'm not really, I don't know if I'm fine, but. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. All of you to assume that I'm okay, but I I guess we'll go on. Yeah. Um, you know, I was like, I, I don't know, it's a job, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing my job. I, you guys have been deploying me like one after another, after another, I really haven't had time to, to think about everything that's going on. Um, but I realized I was like, well, why are we losing all these people? So then I started thinking about, you know, the preparation part and yeah, I mean, if you're just, you know, for me at up to that point, I had already been in for 10, 12 years. Um, you know, I've done many different things. I've been put in very stressful situations. And so I think I was more mature mentally for that. But, you know, if you think about 
a 22 year old nurse or 23 year old nurse who's just trying to learn their job as a nurse. And now they're trying to learn this job in an environment like that and and never was prepared for it. Yeah. You're probably going to have some, some issues (laughs) or they're going to have issues. So yeah. Yeah. That's kind of when I started thinking about things like that. Well, so did you have a mentor? Did you have somebody that kind of taught you how to, how to recognize those things? Cause those are pretty, we talk about emotional intelligence and EQ on this show a lot. And, uh, that's one of those things you have to be pretty emotionally intelligent to sit back and go, okay, wait a second. I think this might be the big problem that we're looking for. Did you, did you just find that on your own? Or do you remember like specifically somebody that you deployed with that you were like, wow, this, they framed this in a different way and helped you get there? No, I, I just sat back and started thinking about it. And it was like, you know, my first, <laughs> my first thought, I guess, which was the wrong thought was, you know, <laughs> perfect. The first time I, the first time I was wrong. Let me tell you about this one. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm all about telling my mistakes. Um, that's how you learn. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, the, my first thought was like, oh, they're just, they're a bunch of babies, right? Like, oh, they just can't handle the environment, whatever. And it was, it was more negative. And then I started thinking about, well, you know, if I was, I'm having a hard time with it, um, just in my job, you know, if I was 10 years younger, yeah, this might be a little bit more difficult mentally as well. So um, I really, you know, wanted to take a look at, at what's going on with these guys. And then I just thought about it and I was like, well, I know what made me uncomfortable was being in, you know, thrown into these environments without having any training. Like that was a huge issue for me. So yeah, for a 22 year old, I'm sure that's, that's going to be hard. And you know, even so my personality is to accept challenges. And it's like, if, if I'm not going with my hair on fire, then I'm not really happy. So sure. even though I was like, this is, this is messed up. I'm still like, you know, I kind of like it a little bit. <laughs> it's, <not like> <laughs> it's, it's hard. Like I'll have a great story to tell at the end of it. I'll be able to say that this was tougher yeah, for me you know, than it was for I you. I didn't die. Nobody died. Um, <laughs> yeah. But not everybody's like that, right? Not everybody has that personality. And especially when they go into the medical field, if that's, you know, to become a nurse or to become a doctor, they're not really looking for that, you know, hair on fire type of job and stressful and whatever. So, um, yeah, the fact that I was kind of stressed out with this and thinking this is pretty effed up, I'm sure when you're 10 years younger and that's not what you had really signed up for, you're, you're going to ha- take a few hits mentally. So absolutely. And then our friend, uh, chief Cox, chief Nathan Cox came on and he's one of my mentors and he has a, a initiative. He likes to call mental armor and he likes it to, to go what he calls left to bang, right? Like it's anything, it's anything like physical training or, or anything else. You don't start doing that, you know, a day before the event, you start way before you need it. So imagine if we had a, a bunch of people that cared, you know, like you, they could go back to younger you and go, Hey, start getting your mind right in these ways. Now start learning, you know, those coping mechanisms now figure out what works for you now before you need it. Because a lot of times if you're surprised by it, you know, it'll be, it'll be even worse. So, right. And, and I imagine throughout your entire, you know, your entire story of, you know, being the first ever this and the, you know, the only one that like working through your career, I imagine there have had to been some, some serious challenges. Did you ever have anybody that was just straight up? Like you're crazy. You're not going to make it. And how did, how do you deal with like those, those hater types? Oh yeah. I mean, before you came in, that was one of the things is like my, my first duty station as a SAR corpsman. And, um, I was the only female at the time in the Navy doing it. I had one of the guys was great and he helped me. Um, and like I said before, he was the only guy there for 
a couple of years. So he's very happy to see me. Sure. Because yeah. it <laughs> took some of the load off of him. Yeah. The second guy that showed up was not so um, happy to see me there or happy to have me in the community and really made my life, my training very difficult. Um, and, you know, a few instances had set me up for failure, which for me and my personality just made me push harder and try harder because, um, yes, I think he wanted me to fail, but I just, I always approach things with, I, I'm not going to fail. Like I will die before I fail. (laughs) So, and, and that type of circumstance, you know, it's okay to fail. It's okay to try and fail. Um, but to learn from it, but I always approach things as I'm not going to fail and I'm not going to quit. It may happen still, but you know, I'm going to do everything in my power, um, to not get to that point. I'm not going to be discouraged by, you know, somebody who doesn't think I belong there. Sure. That is a hundred percent the mentality that we preach to people when you step into whatever you're going to step into, whether it's selection or any other thing, college, all that stuff, you know, that you're going to make it to the end. You're going to make it happen because there's no other route to go other than, you know, to succeed at this thing. And I I think that's super awesome. But despite all the things that happened in your military career, um, I'm sure that you really enjoyed all the times that you had with all the people and everything. And then you decided you were done. So yeah, I know what did that years, look like? Oh, gosh, you could have at least stay yeah. in for a little bit. Yeah. Could have <laughs> well, at least it is, tried out it, to see if you liked yeah. it. Jeez. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a tough decision to make because I mean, is, you know, yeah. going from like the known kind of, you know what the military is going to be like, you get a paycheck and everything to the unknown of like, okay, what am I going to do? So what did that look like for you as far as planning? Were you just like something medical or did you have some other kind of direction that you were looking to go in for? outside of the military. I did not plan, first of all. Oh, okay, perfect. You need, <laughs> so, you need to, I'm telling uh, Tony Negron on you, you need to get with them in Fusion Cell and figure out how to get, get yourself yeah. connected next time. You can be the person that mentors those people getting ready to get out. I, you know, it, it was one of those things after I did get out was like, why don't people tell you about the transition Nobody and, told me. and the, the prep and like whatever. And I know like once you, so for us, once we decide we're going to retire, we put our paperwork in a year before. So we have that year of, okay, this is when you're supposed to prepare. But I just, I, it never really registered that, oh, there's so much to do. Cause I was like, well, I mean, what am I preparing for? You just get out. <laughs> you just get don't out, go to right? work like, one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still getting a check. I'm still getting paid. Yeah. You just don't show up one day. You're just like, well, that was it. I'm like, it's like a two week notice, but it's a year long notice, whatever. Um, and I really, I, that's how I, I, I worked all the way up to the last day and I was, it was a Friday and I'm at my desk and I was, I don't know, shooting off some emails and trying to like tie up loose strings to the point where my guys were like, what do you mean? You're not going to be here on Monday. And I was like, oh yeah, this is my last day in the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm retiring. Uh, <laughs> did it make you a cake or um, something at least? <laughs> Which I mean, everyone knew I was retiring, but they just didn't know, like, what do you mean on Monday? And I was like, yeah, that's what I'll say. Um, And it wasn't because I was this huge workaholic. It was because I was doing my program with the ERC with the Marine Corps, and I was super passionate about it. And I really wanted to make sure that it got passed down um, appropriately. And I I did. I had a hard time letting go of it. Um, But that really screwed me up because that Monday morning I woke up and I was literally like, it's your next life. It's your, it's your, like, it's your next life. I can't imagine, you know, we're yeah. all pretty old here on the podcast as well. So we're all, if not over 19 years, you know, 20 years or whatever. So 
we, we all feel the same way, but I've had that distinct thought in my head. Like when I wake up and it's no longer a thing, like you're just, you're done, done. Like that's a whole other life that you just entered into. And for you to just do it essentially cold Turkey, like Friday, you're just going to take a nap, probably have a drink on Saturday night, get (laughs) food prep on Monday or on Sunday. And then poof, you're just not even the person you were for an entire career. Yeah. I mean, I, I woke up and it was just like, okay, I don't, I don't put my uniform on. Like it was like, what do I do with myself? I don't, I don't really know. Um, I was in terminal leave. So it wasn't like, Oh, I have to have a job right now, but it did. It kind of woke me up to like, I guess I should figure something out at this point. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it was a weird feeling. And I, sometimes I equate it to, you know, being in prison, not that I've ever been in prison, but I can assume that if you've been in prison a while and, <laughs> You know, the whole time you're looking to get out, right? Like, oh, when, when, what's my exit strategy? When do I get out of here? And then you get out, they close the doors behind you. And it's kind of like, oh, there's this big old world here um, where you've been used to getting up at a certain time, putting on the, you know, whatever clothes that you're used to putting on every day, you know, when you're going to eat, you know, when you're going to like, you just have this whole routine. And then one day you're like, you know, like who's telling me what yeah, to do wait, today? Yeah, wait a second. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I didn't get a, uh, I didn't get like a citywide email telling us about my three appointments for today. So I don't yeah. really know what to do. Exactly. I mean, it was just, and I, I didn't do any of my, um, the medical stuff. Oh my, like, it is so good that Peaches is not on here. He'd be so mad at you. <laughs> I didn't do any of it. I, Yeah. I filed after, which is not good. People who are listening, you want to do that while you're in still, because you're at the head of the line when you file, when you're in, once you get out, you go to the back of the line. (laughs) You have to wait for everything. So, oh yeah, I was doing all my VA appointments and everything after the fact. And yeah. So once you went over to the base exchange, bought your veteran hat, all the ribbons and accoutrements that go with it, and you had your McDonald's or Burger King, how did you, who did you reach out to, to find a pathway and what kind of led you the right direction? I, I didn't, I didn't really reach out to anybody. Um, I was talking to a good friend and you know, he happened to be like, you know, what's going on with you? And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I'm really just, I don't know what's going on. So we went from, we went from somebody that lays this out for a living for people like, Hey, here's what you got to do. You got to start two years out, man. We went to you. This is going to be a great contrast. It's going to be like, Hey, here's what to do. Here's probably what not to do. I mean, it it will work out, but it'll be considerably harder. Yes. Um, I just, you know, that was the one moment where, cause everyone is always at, you know, like, Oh, you know, mental health, how's your mental health all through my career. Right. Never really was affected. And that's probably more because I didn't have time to think about anything. Um, but that was the moment where I was like, I feel, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I feel really lost. I don't know what direction I'm supposed to go in. I don't know. You know, I, I was a nurse fortunately. So I, I knew I had opportunities there, but I, I just, I really didn't know where to go with it. And I didn't, I didn't even know how to really apply <laughs> to a job as a civilian. <laughs> I was, I was a mess. For <laughs> you just go to the job store and you pick up a jobby job and then you just go on with your job life. Okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, apply. You know, the whole thing that what really got me was the whole negotiating your salary. Like that, that's, crazy it, i mean <laughs> it yeah. sounds really funny I, I love, that's a question they all ask. how much money do you want to make i don't know how much uh, how much do i make here <laughs> the first year give me the chart 
Well, I mean, I'm telling you, like that's that is when when you are in the civilian sector, that is one of the questions. You know, what is your expected salary? And I was just like, no, like (laughs) a million dollars. I don't know. Yeah, bringing your bills. Like, I need to pay these bills. Like, how much do you need to pay me? Do you have a Do you have a calculator? Can you just tell me? My last, I know, I was like, my yeah, last employer just directed me. This is how much I was going to earn. And I never had input in it, no matter how long I yeah. stayed in. I'm telling it's, it's the weirdest feeling. And, and I, I hear a lot that veterans tend to undercut themselves because we just, we don't really know how to do that. And so one of my first jobs or one of the jobs that I applied for was to be an adjunct instructor with one of the colleges and to, you know, basically take students through their clinical rotations and, and, she was like, well, how much are you looking to, you know, make hourly? And I, I, I didn't expect the question and I'm on the phone. And so I literally, I, I got my phone. I was trying to like Google real fast. Like, well, what's the, like, I don't know what's the going rate with this. <laughs> so I threw out a number and Siri. she's like, oh, cool. Perfect. Siri, and how I was much like, am I worth? <laughs> Quick Siri, tell me how much, how much am I worth? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I threw out a number and immediately she's like, perfect. And I was like, okay, I totally just F that up. <laughs> <laughs> that was too fast of an answer the, yes. yeah. there was no negotiation on her head. she was just like nope. yep lock it in yeah she's like oh that's great yeah that's what i was thinking too and i was like yeah, yeah sure you were yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah that's that's one of the things i tell people is you definitely you, you need to know um what market you're going into and what you're worth and and shoot higher because the worst they're gonna say is no this is a you know this is what we're gonna go down to so Definitely learn how to negotiate, you know, your worth because once, once you're locked in, you're locked in, you know, with that job, I almost wanted to be like, can, can we do this over again? Can I <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was locked into that wage because that's basically what I agreed on. So learn how to n- know what you're worth and know, you know, where you are, um, in life, your experience, take all, don't just think because you're going into a new field that you should take the bottom because, you know, you have military experience and depending on how many years and what you've been through, you have, you have a lot of experience. You have a lot to bring to the table that a lot of people don't. So you got to do your research. <laughs> well, I, I, for one, I'm relieved that this wasn't the unemployed veteran podcast and you found your way out <laughs> of it. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but- no, actually quite the contrary. So I, I then went from, I don't know what to do with myself to let me just pile everything onto my plate um, because I need to stay relevant. So I'm just going to say yes to everything, put it all on my plate. And then I found myself just not happy at all. Cause I, you know, was doing a bunch of stuff that I just kind of didn't really want to. I just thought I had to at that time. So, so it became think just I, like I, the military again. So you got out of the military, yeah. you missed it. And then you piled on too much workload for not enough of your free time for something that you weren't 100% sure about. Okay, perfect. Good. So Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and again, I, I was in that position because I didn't plan. <laughs> yeah. uh, the military was like, oh, I got to figure something out. So yes, take that year or whatever. Once you decide, because usually I don't know about you guys, but most services, you know, whether you're retiring or you're just getting out in general, you have to have a certain time, you know, to, to apply for that. So yep. for retirement, it's usually a year that you have to put in your retirement papers for. So you have that year, that year is meant for you to mentally prepare yourself and figure out what you're going to do and 
um, get all your, your health stuff in order and all that stuff. So take that year. <laughs> I used to kind of bash on people who did that. It was like, Oh, you're on, the, they call it the road program, right? Yeah, retired retired on on duty. Duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And when I was younger, I used to talk shit about those people. Cause it's like, Oh, they're lazy and they're not doing anything. Then I realized like, Oh no, that's, there's purpose oh, no, to that's that. That's really important. <laughs> and now we have to get for it. Yes, exactly. And you know what? You earned it. So just, just take that time and, you know, do what you have to do for yourself to transition smoothly to the other side. Yep. Last year doesn't count, but it, it seems like you found your way. You're part of the, uh, the, the global surgical medical group now, right? Or something like that. What? Yeah. So that's, it's one of the how, organizations I work with. What's that? Uh, I'm sorry. Well, how, how did you get there? And what, what is that? I'm pretty in the dark on all this stuff. So GSMSG is an organization, it's a nonprofit organization that works closely with Iraq and um, Kurdistan mainly. And I had actually been talking to the president before I got out because I wanted to do something to like the that. President and of America or to the president of GSSMG? The president of GSMSG. Oh, man, I was like, this is this is about to go through the roof because we were about to be able to have presidential like we could go back to it. A happier time where you're just making like impressions of the president. It could have been great. Oh, All yeah. Right, well, I don't, Donald and I are like. I know. I don't. I don't mean. I don't, I don't know the president of GSMG, so I guess we'll just have to go on. Never mind. Sorry. Um. Really cool guy, but yeah, he started this organization, and um, they basically go over. Kurdistan is is one of the main countries that they go to, and he has a good relationship with the prime minister there, and we teach a lot of medical stuff. So, um, he has agreements with the university there. So a lot of the surgeons that are part of our group will go in and teach their surgeons and their medical personnel in the hospital. And then there are a group of us that will go and teach the Peshmerga or the military, um, TCCC and, and things like that, medical concepts. So I had already been talking to him. I just couldn't do it when I was on active duty because you have to go to Iraq for a certain amount of time. And, and the military kind of frowns on that when you our active duty. I mean, you know, when you put your leave paper in and it says Iraq, I mean, don't. It's really, it's really a bug of the universe. Yeah. Just fill out a safety yeah. report. Yeah. Talk, to, talk to OSI yeah. before you go. Is anything going on I need to know about? No. Oh, it's just Iraq. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> no big deal. Right. Um, so yeah. So once I got out, I had reached out to him and was like, Hey, I want to do one of these trips. And got on with them and went over to Iraq and, and did a trip. And that was actually the first, and that probably, what was that? Maybe six months after I got out. But it was the first time where I felt like, oh, I'm with people I know again. Oh, so that was probably a big part that you were missing yeah. is everybody's working towards that same mission. I bet it was like a high stress environment that had yeah. to feel almost comfortable to you, didn't it? Oh, totally. And it's, we all got off the, the plane and, you know, none of us had met each other before other than maybe on social media or Instagram or whatever. Um, but it was the first time a lot of us had met in person and it, we just fell right in the routine. I mean, cause we're all prior military and it was just like being with family again. And that was the first moment where it was like, I feel at home right. again. It took 10 um, seconds for somebody to make like, Hey, nice bag that those pants oh, look terrible. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh Yeah. I mean, we were out to dinner at the hotel and we're just cracking jokes and, you know, it was just, it was great. And like very inappropriate jokes too, which was awesome. So are there any other types? (laughs) It doesn't sound like the military at all. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, 
No, it was the first time. And he actually, Aaron, you know, he hires, not hires, but um, he takes veterans a lot because of that purpose. He really likes to have that camaraderie um, and a place where veterans can go to that are in transition and need that family or looking for that family. So he does a really good job with finding those kind of people. Can, can you tell us about any of the challenges that you have over in those parts of the world, like training the medical? I've never done the, the medical stuff. I think we've all been in, involved with the uh, the FID mission a little mm-hmm. bit. But yeah, medical's fairly complicated, and then it's facilities. And I can't even imagine how many oh, yeah. how many things you have to deal um, with. So it was my first trip, and I he put me on the team to train the military side of the house. And so you had the Peshmerga, so you had the military, military, and then you had the people that supported the military. So it was kind of like our, I guess, GS workers, if you want to call it that, you know, are in the hospitals. And <laughs> he actually, he texted me like a week before. He's like, hey, they're looking for, um, they're, they're standing at this role two hospital and they need somebody to treat, to, to train them in advanced life support skills. So can you put together a curriculum to train all these guys in advanced life support? And I was just like, I mean, okay. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess I do that now. Uh, All right. <laughs> I'm like, put together a curriculum. I can't spell the word curriculum on my phone. I can't text it without seeing it know, underlined like, in red. Like, what are you talking about, my guy? I can't make something up. Those letters don't even make sense. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm on the plane, you know, my 13 hour flight and trying to, I'm like putting together this thing and like pulling resources that I've had. And, um, actually my friend Brandon, I, I got on the team with me and he flew, he's out here in California. So we flew together and we're, but I'm like, Hey, you got to help me do this. <laughs> so we're putting together this whole, like this training thing and we get there and I was like, all right, well, what's, what's the skill level of everybody? And they're like, Oh, it's all the way from a, like basically a CNA all the way to an anesthesiologist. I and I'm already like, don't believe you. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is, I don't know where this story is going, but I got to be honest with you, ma'am. I don't believe you from square one. Not at all. Swear to God. I swear you can like ask the people that were with me. You can back me up. I mean, I don't know any um, of people, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was definitely, it was just one of those. Okay. Like how are we going to like, what, what is going on? So they're all in the, the same room and over there in Iraq, they have what they call pharmacists. And if you're familiar with that, like, so pharmacies are on every corner almost like that's, that's a huge, it's like Starbucks over there mm-hmm. and you can it's get well regulated. <laughs> yeah, no, Starbucks yeah, is way more regulated. Only, yeah. I mean, it really is. It's funny. Cause like the only thing you really need a prescription for over there is antibiotics, but you can get, I mean, there's volume, there's Morphe. I mean, it's just crazy. There's all this stuff. So they have these pharmacists that are in there to learn. And I, I thought they were like our pharmacists and they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> so, so basically that's where I'm saying like the CNA level. Cause that's kind of what their level was, um, in the pharmacy level, I guess. And then, yes, we did have anesthesiologists. So now I'm trying to teach a course and they don't speak English, by the way, <laughs> there was like, maybe three or four people that spoke any kind of English and it was very broken up. So now I'm, I'm teaching through a translator who is not medical. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Good. That's possible scenario. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so that was my week there. I was trying to teach advanced life support to a whole different, you know, culture and different skill levels. And it is 
very challenging, um, but very rewarding. I mean, these guys, the Kurdish people are the nicest people I've ever met and they were very welcoming and they, they tried their hardest. And, um, you know, I, I think they, they definitely learned a lot and, um, they still reach out to me on social media and they talk and it's, it's great. And they, they've asked for us to come back. So I think we did something right, but <laughs> no, it was quite an experience and, and not really what I was expecting. So Nice. But we got it and we did it and yeah, it was great. And I those... do, I, you know, what's that? Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, if you're, you're in that transition phase and you're medical, you have some background, I, I, I encourage you to apply. Um, you can just go to their website and put in an application and then uh, they go through your skills and where you might best fit if you're chosen. Do you have any of those those big payoff stories or anything? You said you keep in touch with some of those people. You know, like uh, any of the the, the, the feel good stories where they learned something from you and it paid off. Maybe like a sanitized version. I don't want to get into like faces, names, <laughs> and places and people, especially with the pesh. Um, actually, no, I haven't. No, we haven't talked about any of that stuff or if they've you know had any huge life saving incidents. But I probably should ask them those, you know, like, by the way, yeah. did you learn? Did you understand? Yeah. <laughs> I will say the scariest part about being over there was, was driving from our hotel to the location. Cause those guys are crazy drivers. You think, I'm sorry. Did you just say the traffic was the scariest situation about driving yeah. in Iraq to the train? Yeah. Location? <laughs> yes. Did you forget about the fact that it's Iraq or, I I'm telling you, like it was <laughs> that ride makes you forget about everything else. Cause you're like, I'm not going to survive getting here. And then you think about, okay, what if we were in a car accident? Cause they don't really have the yeah. same infrastructure. Well, that's, that we do that's the worst is when you, you think about some really stupid stuff. Like, oh man, it's yeah. today the day that I bite it in a car accident because like, this guy doesn't know, like he doesn't agree with who has the right of way. And now I have to eat yeah. it in a car accident. Yeah. But the thing is like, you know, when you're in a car accident here in the States, you have, 911, you have ambulances, you have all these people. They don't have that. No. <laughs> so if you get into a car accident, you know, I was like, this is how I'm going to die. This is, yeah. Solid. Well, at least you know. In, uh, yeah. in Trent's, in, in Trent's uh, you know, the, the way that Trent does things is he always has really smooth segues. So I really want to talk about mentorship right now. I want to talk about don't why you, it is. Don't judge me. You should mentor me up on segues. That's what you should do. <laughs> Trent's notorious for having the world's worst segues. He's just like, that is awesome. Here's a new thing. Let us go now. And we laugh about it all the time. It's fantastic. Um, but just like us, you found a real home, um, speaking specifically for Mentors for Mill, of, of getting on podcasts and really getting people that have been there and done that to take the clicheness away from that phrase, but, but really get that information down to the lowest possible level. And that's the whole reason why we started this, this whole project was, Hey, you, you don't know this information. If you don't talk to somebody that hasn't lived that life, you, you really don't have the best information. So just tell us a little bit about how the mentors for military came up and how you started. I mean, you're a full fledged co-host and multiple podcasts out there on a whole bunch of different platforms, but tell us how that came about. So, Rob, who runs Mentors for Mill, he reached out and um, I guess people had been giving him my name to to be on the show, which I always, every time I'm asked to go on these things, I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <Nobody>. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like I did Mike Ritlins and then Andy Stumps yeah. uh, just recently and I'm like, I'm I'm nobody. Like I can't follow up freaking Joe Rogan or whatever. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> you can't go from that to this, you know, yeah. but whatever. I mean, if people are interested and I can help. That's fine. So he reached out and was like, you know, love to have you on the show. And it was, that was my first one and super nervous about, you know, it was always like, what am I going to talk about? But um, ended up having a really great show. And then he reached out afterwards and was like, Hey, do you want to be a co-host on here? And I, I, like you said, I, I believe in what they're doing. I think it's great. It's, it's one of the, I think few that started out with that in mind to mentor and to have people on that talk about their lessons learned and what you can do differently. And, um, you know, mental health, they always hit mental health every episode they always transitioning in every episode so it's that one stop location i think if you do listen to all of the podcasts and the stories you're going to get a lot of information just being a junior person in the military or transitioning or if you're having some issues you know you're having some mental health issues you know resources and where to go and who to talk to so yeah they've done an excellent job and the people the co-hosts that are on there are all um just stellar professionals. They're, they're amazing. And they all have different backgrounds, different stories, and every one of them will help you in a heartbeat if you reach out to them. Yeah. And it is really, really diverse too. You have, you know, an air force security forces yeah. airman. I actually happen to be friends with Ali. So I know, I know her from, yeah. you know, meeting up in San Antonio and, and teaching combatives and stuff. But I mean, you, you know, CAG operators, the whole project has a bunch of people that no kidding can show you from each distinct point of life. You're never going to have the exact same story as somebody else, right. but I'll tell you what, you cover a, a lot of ground there. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. What's your favorite part about being on podcasts? <laughs> nice. Not, um, not necessary. <laughs> getting, uh, getting questions I wasn't expecting. And not to say. Yeah. Those, not my favorite. Um, so I, I, I'm honestly a very, That's how much she doesn't like being on podcasts. Exactly. That was it. <laughs> she was like, you know what? What's She's your favorite like, thing about being on podcasts? Leaving, Ruining leaving, them. <laughs> leaving them unceremoniously. <laughs> you did so good. What's your favorite part about being on podcasts? Leaving unceremoniously. <laughs> yeah. The other jokes were ruining them. That was another good one that you missed. <laughs> my, I didn't realize I wasn't, I didn't have my charger in and my computer just died. Day so. one. Day one, ma'am. <laughs> Wait, are you saying you did not prepare? Is that? <laughs> yeah. Look, oh my God, you didn't plan. <laughs> we are going to start off with that right away. Like if this, we were at the end anyway. Where like we're about like Brian was literally about to like do the the little wrap up that we do. But we, I, we have we're congratulations. These little snippets they're going in there. Yeah. So that Eventually, we'll make some kind did, of. You did not room. plan. Shit, sorry. Yeah, I didn't plan well. I <laughs> uh, can't wait to tell Tread. Hold on, it's going to be so good. <laughs> All right. So, just to be, you know, respectful, of, respectful of your time and everything, I do want to get to the last question that we just always ask everybody because obviously you're doing the mentors for melting, and you've talked to a lot of people, and you know, you're doing this business for a while. So, for a person that's trying to get into whatever career field they're trying to get into, whether it's nursing or the SAR thing or PJ, any of that kind of stuff, what would you tell? them or your younger self to become more successful or just, you know, one tip that you would give them to, you know, be successful at whatever they're going to do. Just, just learn everything about your craft. I mean, if, you know, when I became a star corpsman, I kind of had a push in that direction when I was dealing with a guy who 
you know, didn't really want me there. Um, I learned everything I could about that job because I was not going to be made a fool of or, you know, look stupid in front of people. Um, same with nursing, just learn whatever you, wherever you find yourself, just, just learn everything there is to know and just keep learning. And you're never, the thing is, you're never going to know everything, right? Especially in the medical field. Like it is an ongoing, you know, that's why they call it practicing. Like you're always practicing. So be humble. You know, you're never, you're not going to be the smartest person in the room and you shouldn't be and always learn from anybody. I mean, you know, same with the military, you can always learn from the most junior person as well as you can learn from the most senior person in the room and just be open and don't think you know everything. And yeah, humble is, is the biggest word, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, what you've been talking about as far as those stories that you have about people being more difficult on you and right now you can laugh about it. I'm sure there are times when it was difficult and you had to internalize and it was more of a struggle in your mind, but it seems like um, kind of what you've done with your career is, you know, you show up and you make it happen. The first thing you said about making your own little way into the, the Sarah Corman uh, arena and not taking no for an answer, I think is really important for a lot of people to hear because, you know, there are a lot of people that are like, well, my eyesight, my this, my that, my whatever. And there's a lot of excuses out there, but you know, not a lot of people take that next step and say, well, screw it. I'm going to still go after it because I know there's a way to get it done and I'm going to make it happen. So super awesome that you were able to do that. And then one of the other big takeaways is, and I think this is important for everyone to realize um, because we are not the best at podcasting or anything like that. And at certain points, like you were talking about throughout your career, you didn't know what you were really walking into. But the important thing is that you're the person that showed up for the job. So it's not always the person that is the most talented that gets the job. It's the person that shows up day after day and makes sure that the job is somebody's there to get the job done. Just like on all those deployments that you went on, um, you were the person that showed up to get the job done because you knew that it was important to you to make sure that all these people were getting taken care of. So you know, I think it's a really important thing for everyone to learn that's going into any of these career fields because they're all in service oriented. And so we're working for our team, we're working for the people that we're treating and we're working for the people that we're fighting alongside. And it's important for you to, you listeners out there to be able to show up day after day and not be that person that takes the easy way out or says, I'm too sick to go on this deployment. I'm too whatever to do this thing. You know, like Nikki did, she showed up every single time and made sure that her services were available and her skills to make sure that the mission was executed. And along the way, obviously there are some times that we just can't prepare for everything and we can't. Um, but a lot of lessons learned from your story, um, in the way that you still figured out a way, even though sometimes you weren't as prepared as maybe you could have been, but you still made, uh, you know, whatever you could out of this situation. And obviously you're successful in all the things that you're doing. So we appreciate you coming onto the show and, letting us talk to you for a little bit and sharing some of your knowledge with our listeners. Uh, any last uh, thoughts, words, any, anybody? I just can't no. wait to put that part in about your phone dying. That's going to be the <laughs> best. I thought my, I thought my computer restarting to start this thing off was going to be the, the worst thing about uh, what I did today. It's not, I can't wait. I'm just going to be like, Oh, but her phone died. <laughs> Thanks for all coming right. on, ma'am. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing everything that you do on Mentors for Mill and all of your other projects. If you ever need anything from us, let us know. We'd be happy. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. Appreciate it. And if you guys have not checked out her Instagram account, Fly Girl RN, and she's going to be, uh, 
competing in one of the tactical games, I believe, so you can follow her progress along as she uh, tackles that next project of hers. And uh, as always, you know, we appreciate you guys listening to the show. And if you guys ever need anything anytime, just feel free to reach out to us. 